We are going to get started, um, and tonight's going to be a little bit different than what we did last time. Um, so again, the goal, like I was saying, is not just simply information. It's not just simply giving you guys information. You can do that. There's a lot of great podcasts that you guys can download and stuff and listen to all the time online. Um, as important as that is, as important that we will be giving you guys information, um, we are also purposeful in wanting to have you guys join and sit in little tables, little connection groups like that. Because uh, really, at the end of the day, we want to be able to be praying for our families, praying for our kids, praying that we would be able to be better parents and take that role more seriously and learn how to, uh, to grow in those various areas that we need to grow. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to jump right into uh, kind of a little bit where we left off last, last time that we met. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to work, uh, taking a look at tonight really the issue of uh, providing or provision as uh, a parent. So let me pray, and we'll get to work. God, right now, we just ask for your help and your wisdom and your input and your guidance and uh, Lord we thank you that we can learn from you because you're a parent Um, and you know what it means to provide you know what it means to take care of not just us but God everything you sustain and provide for everything so God I pray that you'd help us to learn a little bit about what that looks like in our own little context within our own little families and know how to do it well God in a way that brings you honor brings you glory brings you praise so uh, we just commit this evening in your hands. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we looked at the last time that we were here, we talked a little bit about using, uh, for the most part, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, what it's typically called as sort of the model of what we're really trying to understand and sort of unpack a little bit. And in other words, the reason why we're choosing, you know, using the picture of the Lord's Prayer is because it starts off by saying our Father. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, he wants us to pray to God as if there's some sort of a inner relationship in terms of father and son or father and daughter. And so I think that, it, that relationship is primary to us and God, and therefore there's things I think we can learn from that. So even though the Lord's Prayer is not necessarily a, you know, a text for parenting, uh, per se, there are some things that I think we can glean and learn from this particular concept. And so I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer to you, and then I'll focus on the particular passage that we'll look at tonight. It's uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says, this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but, to, but deliver us from evil. So last time we met, we looked at basically the, the role of parenting, that there is an actual role, there's an order, there's a father, and then there's children, um, and how that sort of perspective relationship works itself out. Um, tonight, what we'll take a look at in verse, is verse 11 specifically, where he talks about, give us this day our daily bread. And so one of the things that we notice with regard to this is that there's this element of God providing. I'll give you an example. Um, a guy by the name of Martin Luther, some of you guys know who he is, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the original guy, uh, the reformer, he had written something called the Shorter Catechism, and it was basically a, a teaching mechanism to teach families, teach kids how to walk with Jesus. And so, in the Shorter Catechism, on this specific uh, matter of the Lord's Prayer, he asked this question, what is meant by daily bread? So the way the Shorter Catechism works is it's sort of a series of questions and then answers. So in the question, he says, um, what is meant by daily bread? And then he answers it. He says, uh, again, referring to God providing for us, here's how God provides for us. Sorry, if I'm talking a little bit loud tonight, I can't hear. This ear is like totally blocked. I can't hear anything. So um, 
I, I kind of feel like I'm talking extra loud tonight, normally more than I, am I really? Okay, then normal, all right, so maybe we can adjust for that just in case, so anyways, that's because I can't hear anything, so that's why. Um, he goes on to answer this question, he says, everything that belongs to the support and the wants of the body, such as meat, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, field, cattle, obviously he lived a long time ago, money, goods, a godly spouse, godly children, good government, good weather, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. So Luther was basically trying to establish the fact, like, here's how God provides for us. So when we ask God, God, give us this day our daily bread. It's not just God, give us a loaf of, you know, gluten. Um, it's, it's bigger than that. It's broader than that. It's not just simply limited to that. And Jesus himself, he describes, he says, man shall not live by bread alone. And Jesus talks about how doing the will of the Father is really meat to him. It's bread to Jesus. So obviously the concept of bread or daily bread is metaphorical for something bigger, broader, more uh, stretched out in terms of that. And so again, like I said, Luther really recognizing that it was sort of symbolic for bigger, broader things he recognized that God provides for us in a lot of different ways. So in the same manner, what I really want to focus on tonight is what does it look like for us as parents to provide? What are some key centralized areas that we can provide? If God provides for us, and if the idea of model, you know, what God has modeled for us as a parent, if God is a parent, God provides as a good parent, um, what could it, what should it look like for us as parents uh, seeking to image God or mirror God in our families? What can it look like or what should it look like for us to model that element of providing, of provision? So there's a lot of things that we can tackle, a lot of things that we can look at, spend a lot of time. We're super limited on time, so I'm going to just give you basically three specific areas. A lot of these things are sort of general, and they're intentionally general, which means that in a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about, you guys, uh, if you're married, this is between you and your spouse prayerfully considering how you work these things out. If you're not married, if you're a single parent, you know, we realize obviously that's challenging, that's difficult. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you, obviously, with a partner that may not be there with you, helping them, helping you, trying to figure these things out. So obviously, there's a little bit more where you're going to have to really think through these and pray through these things as to how it works out. But at the end of the day, a lot of these things are going to need to be worked out within yourselves, within your own context, uh, within your family, and how this all uh, makes sense. And so, we're going to take a look at three things. Um, the first of which, and if you guys are taking notes, hopefully, uh, we are, you'll be writing the notes out um, as we go through them, so we'll try something different here. Um, the first thing we'll take a look at is that uh, we provide uh, instructionally. In other words, there's an element of instruction that we provide to our kids. Um, like I said, there's a lot of things that we can tackle and look at. I'm just trying to look at the, the, the most poignant um, top three uh, given time frame that we have. So, Let's talk a little bit about instruction. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. This is actually from the New Living Translation. Then it goes on and says, but those who love their children care enough to discipline them. And obviously the picture is that parents who love their children recognize that their children have propensities to disobey or to wander, to do what they want to do in their own ways. And it's a parent that's indifferent. It's a parent that's apathetic that's just going to let their kid, you know, climb up on cupboards and pull stuff down from the top of the fridge, you know, and, uh, run out in the middle of the street. That's a bad parent. It's an indifferent parent. Um, and the Bible basically uses a pretty strong word. Like, they, they just hate them. They, they're not caring the way they should care. In other words, if I can take it a step further, it's not reflecting the proper order of God. God cares for his kids. 
It's the whole picture in Hebrews where it talks about uh, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's, I mean, honestly, one of the best evidences for, for you that you can lay your head on your pillow at night and sleep well to know that you actually belong to God is that he doesn't let you get away with junk. He loves you too much to let you get away with garbage. You get caught. You have a conscience that troubles you. Uh, you know, you just have a sense of things that you need to repent from. That's God because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to keep going down a path that sin takes you down, rebellion takes you down. Because, again, the picture is, is that if God is the sum total of love, of life, and light, then to walk in relationship with God means that we are in light, we are, you know, showered upon with love, and we have life. But to walk away from God, to turn away from God, to go about our own step, our own path, is not to walk further into life, it's to walk into death. It's not to walk further into love, it's to walk further into exclusion. It's not to walk further into life uh, or light, it's to walk further into darkness. And the same could be said of your kids. That, you know, when you tell your kids, hey, you know, depending upon the age, obviously, um, don't touch that pot, you'll burn yourself. That's your decree. I mean, if you want to look at it this way, you are making a decree, don't touch the pot. Now, you're not necessarily going to explain every single detail why you say things um, sometimes you might, especially as your kids get older, I think it's good for you to do that. It's, uh, it, it shows that you care for your kids. It shows that as they grow, you have enough respect and honor for them that you explain why you say certain things to them. But especially when they're young, you know, you're not going to, you can say it's, it's, you know, I remember when my kids were young, we would say, don't touch the hot thing, it's owie. That's kind of a lame, you know, explanation, like adult that doesn't like do justice, you know. Why shouldn't I touch the thing? Because it's owie, you know? But a kid gets it, you know? Owie, oh, I remember my kids being like, oh, owie, owie. They touch it, like act like they're touching it, and they'd be like, owie, owie. So that's a demonstration of love. And it's your decree, um, even though you may not necessarily explain exactly why you're doing that, but you love them enough to set up parameters for them, to protect them, to guide them. And if they touch that, um, they will be burnt, and they will cry. Rather than joy, there'll be great sadness. And you know as parents that much of your happiness and joy and sadness and sorrow is actually very dependent upon your kid's happiness, right? You know what I'm talking about? When your kids are happy, you're happy. When your kids are freaking out and not going to bed or having a tantrum in the middle of Target, you're not doing too well. You're not very happy. Nobody else is happy around you either. But So your words, if you can put it this way, your words are words that lead to life. Does that make sense? God has given you the power, the ability, the stewardship to have words of life. And in some way, that's a small picture of the words of life that God has on a bigger, more cosmic level for our lives. So discipline basically is birthed out of love. Okay, there's two things that we'll basically take a look at. One is formative instruction. Okay, formative instruction. In other words, this is proactive. This is a matter of like instructing, coaching, guiding, directing, um, stemming your kids because you love them. So you're helping them to think rationally, to make decisions, not just simply out of emotion, but to be thoughtful and to be honoring. And sometimes that, you know, again, like I said, depending upon their age, they might not fully understand the reasons behind why every decision is, that's there. So, you, you, you know, you're going to teach them to abide by authority figures, you know, whether it's mom or dad or 
teacher in Sunday school or, you know, if they're in kindergarten, their kindergarten teacher, that you, inter- you instruct them so that they would follow instruction. This is formation. You're forming within them an understanding and appreciation for instruction. Now, let me say something about this. It's very important that we understand why we give instruction to our kids. Um, instruction, like I said, what I mentioned to and already alluded earlier, is that instruction really is a path that leads to life. Like, God always gives instruction as a means of leading to life. That's why God gives the, the instruction through the Bible, is to lead us to life. In other words, when God shares something, it's a reflection of his character. And if God is by character, light, life, and, you know, love, all of those things I've already described, then that means that walking in the actions that God calls us to walk in leads to that, okay? So the same, I think, could also be said of your kids, is that the actions and desires that you have for your kids to follow, you want to really help them to understand the importance of that, not just simply as a rule to follow. You're not just simply giving them arbitrary rules that they can follow, uh, you're, you're teaching them to follow the, the standards or the, the instruction as a means of life. And I think at the end of the day, the idea behind this is that you want to keep pointing them to the bigger picture of God. Um, because what you don't want is you don't want to create kids that just simply follow the rules. Right? You want to treat, you, you, the, your goal is their deep joy. Like really as a parent, your goal is you want to see them uh, live a life of joy in God. And it's possible to follow all the rules, at least uh, externally, but not really have a lot of deep joy. And that, for the most part, was the picture of the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, right? They followed all the rules, at least externally followed all the rules. They weren't joyful. They weren't walking in the joy of God. They weren't happy to see, you know, nasty sinners come to meet Jesus and come to be saved and set free and redeemed because what they were focused on was just simply abiding by rules, so our, our goal as parents in this particular respect is not just simply just to get them to obey rules as, as if rules are basically the end in and of itself. So we're trying to form within them an appreciation for instruction. Again, this is sort of proactive. The second thing is uh, corrective discipline. Corrective discipline. This is reactive. Obviously, when something's done, you react accordingly to it and you spend some time in, uh, helping them, coaching them, guiding them. Um, because you care for them, not because you're angry, not because you got a temper, not because you're frustrated. Uh, again, there's a lot of reasons why parents, we as parents, can correct our kids, all right? And this is where you have to really think through this in your own heart. Um, you as a parent, for example, can be in Target, your kid freaks out, and you get really angry, not so much because your kid is missing out on life or this is a pattern that's leading to a bad, but you're really embarrassed, now, again, I get it. I know what it's like to feel embarrassed because your kid's freaking out. I've been there. I've done that. But let's say if that was something that was, you had this inordinate desire to somehow protect your own reputation, you actually might come across through discipline a little bit more harsh than normal. The, the goal of all correction, the goal of all guidance, the goal of all instruction really is to lead them to light, life, and joy. That comes from God. And you're, you're giving them the path way to that. Um, Corrective discipline is really not, it's not punitive, but rather it's restorative. It's not punitive, it's restorative. Okay, so let's say your kid does something wrong and they obviously need to be corrected. 
No, it's your duty. No one else is going to be disciplining or correcting or coaching or guiding or leading your kids. I mean, there may be other people that kind of raise up in your, rise up in your life and are going to coach and guide and help and whatnot. There might be other voices that are going to come along. But at the end of the day, God has put them, like we talked about last week or last time, God has put them in your life for you to be a good steward over them. So part of that stewardship means that you coach and lead and guide and disciple and lead them in these specific strategic types of ways. So when they fail... And they will, just like you and I fail all the time. The question really has to come back to, how does God correct us? Is God's correction of us punitive? Meaning, is it judgment? Is God bringing a heavy hand upon us because he's angry? we somehow, you know, smitten his character and his good name? No, in fact, quite the opposite. Because God has struck his son for us, God's correction of us is always restorative never punitive. This is really important. Maybe some of you guys struggle with this, that if you find yourself in places and moments in your life where you've done something wrong, you've sinned, if you feel like God's angry at you, it's, it's, a, it's a mischaracterization of who God is. He's not angry at you. He totally loves you. Absolutely loves you. And that's really important for you to know that, that whenever there's any type of correction or corrective behavior going on in your life from God to you as a child, It's always restorative. It's always that God's goal, God's aim, God's target is to be like what the psalmist says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's not restore to me salvation. I lost my salvation. I'm not a Christian anymore. Uh, God chasing me so that I can get my salvation back. It's restore to me the joy that what happens when sin takes place, you know, rebellion takes place, when you and I as sons and daughters, when we rebel against God, when we do dumb things, when we sin, when we are you know, out of sync with our Father, uh, we don't lose our salvation, but we lose our joy. We lose the sense of God's presence and the sense of joy, however you want to describe it. In the same way, you know the same is true with your kids. When your kids, you know, when you're saying to your kids, hey, come sit down and we're going to have dinner. And they're like, no. And you're like, come sit down, we're going to have dinner. And they just, no. And in your heart, really your heart of hearts, you're like, let's have dinner because after dinner, we want to have like popcorn. You know, we want to watch a movie. But you didn't maybe necessarily unfold that whole plan of salvation for them, right? You're just like, first things first, sit down and eat dinner, right? But in your heart, the hearts, the true heart of hearts, you're bubbling over with this excitement because afterwards you're going to sit down and have movie night and do something real fun or whatever. But they're being rebellious. So your goal is not to just simply discipline them because you're angry with them, but because you really want to restore them. Now look, at the end of the day, I realize this is challenging. Because for all of us, we lack something. It's self-control. We all lack it. We have all had those moments where we lose it. And this is where uh, it's just always important to keep your human side human. In other words, don't be afraid to admit your human flaws to your kids. You're going to fail. And there's been several times. I mean, I've had to sit down with my kids, and I've lost it with them. And I've not been a good dad with them. And I've yelled at them, and I've been frustrated, and been angry, and I've, I've had to sit down with my kids on my knees in front of them, usually individually, or sometimes if it's, you know, if I, you know, I've had all arenas of this, you know, universally, with the whole family together, wife and two kids, I've done it individually with them, so I've had experience in all these areas, so, but I've had to sit down, get down on my knees, and just look them in the eyes, and just say, daddy, sorry, the way daddy corrected you was wrong, absolutely sinful and wrong. And it's not the way that God ever corrects daddy. It's not the way God ever corrects you. 
daddy misrepresented God. And I'm sorry for that. And to be repentant of that. So, again, the idea that we're talking about basically here is uh, this, ins- this concept of providing um, instruction is not only formative instruction, it's proactive, but it's also corrective discipline. That we are not necessarily correcting them um, in terms of or the discipline is not necessarily punitive, but it's restorative. Let me try to give you another little picture of this. Discipline, like true, genuine, restorative discipline, is almost like a loving rescue mission, if I can put it that way. In other words, if you see your kids on a path that is away, that's walking away from you, and you know that that path can actually lead to danger, being hit by a car, touching something hot, um, you know, you get the idea. Um, and you know that that you can see their wheels spinning, right? I mean, if you ever like, sat there and watched the kid and you know what they're thinking, you know in their mind they're like devising a plan to like disobey you. You just see it in their eyes. They're like, they're looking at that toy that you just told them not to touch or they're looking at the object that you said stay away from. They're just sitting there like this and all staring at it. You know what they're doing. Um, they need a rescue mission. That's you. You are the rescue mission. You are the rescuers. And so out of love, because you love them, you're, you're wanting to help them to, to, to see that in your words is the path of life, which is really um, in some way, shape, or form just a, a faint mirror image, all right? And I say faint mirror image because most of the decrees, if I can use that way of describing it, decrees, laws, and whatnot that we make uh, don't bear any representation of God's. Um, and so that's why I say it loosely, um, that if we train our kids to understand the importance of walking in our ways, that we want them to see the bigger picture of walking in the ways of God because God's ways are a way of life. That's our true desire because in God's presence is fullness of joy. We want our kids to ultimately have that fullness of joy. And the second thing we'll take a look at, not only provide uh, instructionally, the second thing we'll take a look at is provide emotionally, provide emotionally. I was just kind of thinking about this, is that like, you know, kids sometimes can be emotionally unstable, they're not well adjusted, they don't know how to function well, and, you know, all sorts of studies have been done, and they just basically go back and show a lot of it has to do with, you know, a family life. You know, maybe some of you, that was you, maybe some of you are still kind of healing from something like that growing up, you had a bad family life, your parents divorced, or... You had a dad that was there, but not really there. He was there physically, but not there emotionally. He was sort of passive and didn't really take uh, interest in you or whatnot. I mean, the reality is, is that we think about, I'm just putting it this way. Think about the emotional baggage that some of you guys carry. And think about what caused it. You're in that same role that your parents were. That's pretty heavy, isn't that? You have the same power to do to your kids what your parents did to you. And that's, that's kind of a, a pretty interesting way to kind of look at it. But at the same time, you're not doomed to live in that. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we're not doomed by anything. It's not like that has to be the storyline that we live according to. And that's the beautiful element of the gospel is the gospel has the power to set us free from that trajectory, to set us on the, a new course, to establish a new path, um, to where our kids actually aren't following in the same traumatic, difficult, challenging, troublesome baggage that we came from. 
So we have the power to basically set the course differently by the Holy Spirit that's at work in us, teaching us to be repentant, teaching us to model Jesus, so on and so forth. Do you guys get that picture? So that's the idea. So um, the, the element of emotional stability, I think, is something that we want to take a look at. Romans chapter 8, and I was just thinking about how this sort of works within our own relationship with God. Um, you know, as a pastor, a lot of counseling that I do and interaction I do with people oftentimes can stem from, I mean, there's a lot of different things, but one of the main things I oftentimes find is that people tend to have a very, um, they question a lot of God's love. They, they question, does God really love me? And I'm not really sure if God loves me because I did this or did that or what about the past that happened or what about future things I'm going to maybe end up doing? How do I know? And there's a lot of insecurity as to whether or not God truly has accepted them, truly loved them. So it's, it's really an issue of love. And so the question really comes back to, does God love them? Well, of, of course God loves them. We know that. I mean, we've got scripture that we can bank on and point to and prove and look at. But the reality is, is this is how we apply the gospel in our lives and continue to walk it out, is we keep reapplying it. It's not just like, oh yeah, I reminded myself of that scripture back, you know, when I was 18 years old about God's love for me. We've got to daily do that. And sometimes over and over throughout the day do that, especially if we find ourselves, you know, prone uh, in, to a lot of weakness where we just feel that there's, we're being bombarded by the enemy. We've got to keep reminding ourselves of God's love, God's love. And so I find... You know, that's what helps create stable, mature believers that are really confident, not overly confident, not prideful confident, but confident in the love of God, is they have a firm understanding that God truly loves them. In spite of who they are, God truly loves them. And I'm thinking, in a lot of ways, that's, I, I think there's a lot of carryovers into just natural relationships that we have been given to us with regard to our kids. So I'll take a look at three specific things, I think, ways in which we can do this, things that we can maybe apply. One is we got to love without conditions. Love without conditions. Now, you guys know that it's easy for us oftentimes to set conditions upon, or at least maybe the way it gets communicated, we have conditions set upon, you know, our favor that we give to our kids. You know, do this and, uh, you know, you'll come snuggle with me. Or, you know, daddy loves you because you did the dishes. Um, I try to train myself never, ever, ever, ever to say that. Daddy loves you because you're, you're, you're such, a, such a good girl. I don't ever want my kids to think that I love them and my love for them is dependent upon their goodness. I want them to know I love them because they're my daughters. Period. That's it. I mean, they could be bad kids. I still love them. It's never going to change. Ever. And so I think the way that we verbalize certain things is, is really crucial. The way that we frame it. And I, and I know it's super easy for us to say, you know, mommy loves you, daddy loves you because you cleaned your room. Um, again, I'm, I'm just, I might be a little bit overemphasizing, overemphasizing the point of that, but again, I just, I think the way that we communicate things to our kids is super critical, crucial about how they glean and what they learn about the gospel in certain circumstances. So, love without conditions. Second thing is uh, create times to listen and talk. And I think the element here is uh, being intentional to create times, to look for those moments. We talked a little bit about this last time. Um, each one of our kids have different windows of time in which they really come out and they're really talkative. So you really get to know your kids and think about when that is with your kids. For some of them, it might be a little bit before bedtime. For others, it might be in the morning. Um, you know, they might wake up in the morning, they're a morning person, they want to come snuggle in bed with you. That's a window of time. It might be a five-minute, ten-minute window that you might have with them. And, you know, you might not be a morning person. You might be like, ah, oh, I want my sleep. And your kids are like, I want to snuggle, Mommy. And, you know, 
use that as an opportunity to be like, that's a window of time that you can speak into their soul and listen to them and talk to them and let them talk to you. It's really important. I'll give you an example this past week. Um, my oldest uh, daughter, Brianna, she's 16. She just got back from Hume Lake this past week, and uh, she does uh, independent study with San Luis School District and giving too much more, more information to get you to know. But um, I called her up yesterday. She was out studying. She always goes to like a coffee shop and studies. And uh, so I called her up. I'm like, hey, what are you doing right now? She's like, ah, I'm just doing some homework. I'm like, you can do homework later. Um, you want to go to Indian food? So I picked her up and we went to Indian food. She'd never been to Indian food. We always eat Indian food from Trader Joe's. But again, more information to get you to know. And uh, so I took her out to Indian food. And we're just chatting. And I'm like, so tell me, how, how did you like the trip? You know, I mean, did you have a good time? And she just opened up. She's just like, 10, 15 minutes of just like sharing with me about the worship, about the message, about the lessons, about the cabin time that she had with the girls. She's like actually crying, telling me how God spoke to her and God met her. And I'm like, in my, I'm like trying to, you know, I got my hat on. I'm like, that's awesome, sweetheart. You know, it's so good. I'm like, (laughs) you know, but the reality is, is like, that was the window of time. You got to be intentional about creating those windows of time. Um, and I think what happens is the kids really begin to realize they're loved. Look, at the end of the day, guys, um, who else is going to do that? I'm going to talk to you men. Men. Who else is going to do that? Especially if you have daughters. Who's going to do that for your kids, for your daughters? It's got to be you. Like, God has placed you there in that position, even for you. I don't have sons, so I, I don't have much to say about that. But um, guys that I know that have sons, it's like you've got to still be that and do that and be intentional about creating that time frame um, with your kids and giving them those opportunities. And I think what happens is it creates a dynamic where they feel free. It's safe. It's a safe place for them to talk. I want my kids to know that anything they talk to me about is safe. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to harp on them. I'm not going to come down upon them. I want them to know that I'll listen. Now, obviously, there's going to be moments I'm going to have to speak into and talk to certain things. But at the end of the day, I want my kids to know that it's a safe place. I love them. That that will provide some level of emotional stability and help for them. Third thing is model a healthy marriage in, or, and or relationships. Now, again, this is kind of bigger than we have time to really unpack. But, uh, I, again, this is where you've got to think it out and work it out. But the reality is is um, how many of you actually came from a broken home, divorced family? How many of you would actually say, and if you want to be honest, would you say that you kind of had some emotional difficulty, challenge in relationships from that? Okay. A lot of us. I mean, probably most of you guys that raised your hand uh, early uh, to recognize, obviously, coming from a broken family. But here's my point. As, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you know, marriage is not necessarily going to be any easier, Okay. Um, there are challenges. Whenever you get two redeemed sinners coming together uh, who oftentimes are uh, vying for, fighting for, jockeying for first place, you're going to butt heads. Sparks are going to fly. But the reality is, is one of the best things that you can provide for your kids emotionally is peace, shalom within the family. Think about it this way. Can you imagine what type of a Christian you would be if the father was always like sort of suspicious of the son? And like the Holy Spirit was just sort of like this third leg, just kind of like third wheel. You know, Father and Son, we had this thing going. I mean, you know what I'm saying? My, it sounds stupid. It's a dumb analogy, I know. But the point of the matter is there's unity amongst the Trinity. There's love and unity amongst the Trinity. 
And that breeds a sense of like confidence and peace and comfort in the fact that all is good. There's shalom within the Godhead. And that shalom, that peace, is something that God invites me into. So I think as a family, one of the things that you can provide for your kids that's radically powerful is to be able to have healthy marriages. And if that's, or even relationships if you're not married, but just relationships. I mean, I've known people that aren't married and they're always bringing a boyfriend or girlfriend home and there's no stability. I've known people that, you know, that have had their boyfriend, girlfriend stay the night at their house. They're living there for a little bit and then the kid gets attached to it and then, you know, three weeks later the boyfriend, girlfriend's out and it's totally unstable. That kid just doesn't know what's, what's up and they're so unstable and emotionally it just destroys them. It's like acid just destroying their heart and you know, we have the power and the ability by God's power and God's strength to really help provide secure emotions or uh, stable emotions for our kids in these particular, particular ways. So, again, I'll just leave this out. If marriage is something that you guys are having a hard time with, talk to me or Pastor James. We have people in this church that we want to help you guys. Look, at the end of the day, there's no judgment. We realize we've all had challenges. We know that, but we want to help you guys. We truly, genuinely want to help you guys to not just simply have good marriages, but to have good families. And we realize that good families are going to come from good marriages, good relationships between the two of you as husband and wife or other relationships that you guys have outside and out of perimeter. Final thing I'm done is uh, provide spiritually. Provide spiritually. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11 is this particular passage most of you guys might be uh, familiar with. Actually, three different times in the book of Deuteronomy, God says this. I'll read this one in Deuteronomy. Verse 18, it says this. You shall therefore... Lay up these words of mine in your heart. You shall teach them to your children. Take, uh, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way. When you lie down, when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, I think of bumper stickers and graffiti or, you know, you know how some ladies like to do little crafts with scriptures. And I think that's basically what God's saying is, is teach the word of God. Uh, verse 20, 21, he says... So that the days uh, and the days of your children may be multiplied on the, in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you as long uh, as the heavens are above the earth. So the picture that God's basically saying is I'm bringing you as a people into the land. Obviously, this is historic uh, uh, national Israel coming into a new territory. And God's saying I really want for there to be longevity here. I, I want there to be a legacy that, you know, 100 years from now, 300 years from now, you guys are going to be still in the land, occupying the land. Obviously, people are going to be dead, but they'll have a lineage still living, occupying the land. And God's saying, the way to do that is to walk in my ways. Again, like I said at the very beginning, if God is, in and of himself, light, life, and love, then the path to light, enlightenment, light, you know, knowledge, wisdom, the path to uh, life and the path to truly being loved is God. There is no other source or recourse to that. And so to walk in God's ways is the path to that. That's basically the message of the Bible. To walk away from that is to walk away from light, life, and love into death, darkness, and exclusion. And so the point of the matter is, is that God's saying the way that you can do this is as families, instruct, teach your kids how to walk in my ways. So there's an element of providing for your kids spiritually, teaching them God's word. Uh, three things we'll take a look at. One um, is to use life lessons as gospel moments. All right? Use life lessons as gospel moments. In other words, 
this takes, I think, kind of a, a skilled, a trained, you know, someone that just that knows Jesus. This is why I would even, as a side note, say, you guys really need to be investing yourselves personally into the gospel, growing in your walk with Jesus, personally. Like, I'm talking you and Jesus. Uh, no one else can do this for you. Like, you personally have to know what it means to cultivate a healthy, loving relationship with God. And if God is just simply concept to you, then figure out what you've got to do to make God reality. I mean, talk to spiritual mentors. Find people that you know that are older than you, that have been walking with Jesus longer than you. You're having a hard time with this concept of seeing God, not just simply as a concept, but as reality. Then I'm, I'm really urging you for the sake of your kids, because I know that you guys are all here tonight because you want to see your kids do well best thing that you guys can do for your kids is to have a good, healthy, strong relationship with Jesus yourself. So find somebody. Find a mentor. Find somebody that's older than you and ask them to help you to know what it means to walk with Jesus. Okay? So um, out of that, I would say, you know, use life lessons as gospel moments. Um, There's three ways, and again, sort of some more sub-points. One, through joys. You guys are going to have moments where there's just great excitement and joy and happy. You watch a happy movie and you know, something takes place, it's a birthday party, or it's fun day, or whatever, the sun's shining, it's, you know, it's 78 degrees outside, it's just an awesome day, you know, and use those as moments to just point out, man, isn't God so good? Look at these beautiful cows and horses that we get to see every single day. Look at, man, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What an amazing God we have, and not only that, but this is just one planet of quadrillion planets in the universe, you know, and they're like, what are you talking about? You know, like, God is big. He's a good God. He's a God of all joys. He creates all this really good stuff. In other words, the idea that I want you guys to think about here is provide a vision for the glory of God for your kids. Provide opportunities. Like, create moments where your kids are able to get a snapshot, a glimpse into the beauty, the bigness of God. Think about it this way. When you became a Christian, or when your heart really became on fire, maybe it's not even quite there yet, that's fine, I understand, we talked about earlier, but moments in your life that you've been most excited about anything in your life, it's been when your heart's been captivated by something. Now again, that could have been a touchdown at the last, you know, few seconds of the game, that could have been, you know, watching a piece of art, or being, you know, at the base of, you know, El Capitan, and, you know, Yosemite, or whatever, uh, something, something captivated your heart, you're in awe, and you're like, oh my gosh, i got to tell something about it. Tell, tell somebody about this. You know, it might be verbally, it might be taking a picture and push it, putting it on Instagram. But the idea of the matter is, is that what captivates your heart, what gets you in the mode of excitement, is you got to be captivated by something. If you're not captivated by God, that's something that you got to really look at and unpack for yourself and, and ask yourself, why are you not captivated? Why are you not in awe? of the glory and the beauty and the goodness of God. Because if you're not in awe of the glory and the beauty of God, uh, the glory and the beauty of God, then it's going to be very difficult for you to share that snapshot to your kids. So again, going back to really think about what that's going to look like for you. So joys. Second thing is sorrows. You know, use life lessons as gospel moments. In sorrows, point out how even in moments of great suffering that God's there. Because, like, at the end of the day, we're going to suffer. There's going to be moments of great tragedy. Uh, for us, last week was our dog died. And it was painful for me to walk out the door, taking my dog to the vet, and my kids are sitting there with my wife, watching me walk out the door with my dog for the last time. I had to come home and sit down and just pray with them and talk with them and unpack that with them, that 
yeah, this is really painful. This is really, really hard. We had to put down our dog. She wasn't even five years old. She was still semi-puppy, I guess. You know, that was hard. But that was a gospel moment. Um, at the same time, uh, we just found out that a good friend of mine told you, a guy named Britt Merrick, he's a pastor down in Carpinteria, his daughter Daisy died. And we've been praying for her for a long time as a family. And for that to happen just became a teachable moment. I want my kids to know that God is there in suffering. You know, that the life of the Christian is not just all happiness and joy and everything's great. You walk with God and everything's going to be wonderful for you. That's, that's not true. That's not biblical. But that God is a God that's near even in the midst of our suffering. Um, indecisions. So joys, use them as gospel moments to point out joys. And sorrows, use them as gospel moments to point out God's presence and sorrows. And decisions. Point them to the fact that God is full of all wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. He's got wisdom to boot. He's got quite a bit. He's pretty smart. He's pretty wise. Um, I was talking with someone this past week, and they were talking about having their kid go to school. Um, their child is in eighth grade, and they're trying to figure out, you know, where to send their kid. And, and uh, they were kind of telling me a little bit about that, and, and I was... You know, just tell me a little bit of the decision-making process that it went on to, to do that. And for them, the sum decision-making process wasn't really so much about, you know, God, what do you want? What direction do you want my kid to go? It was, it was what's the best for sports for him? Like, what's going to provide the best sporting option for my child? And, and I remember, like, with both of our kids, um, just, you know, for us, we've gone through the gamut of schooling. Like, we've done Christian school, we've done homeschool, we've done public school, we've done everything. I don't think there's anything that we've, like, been left untried for us. And it's been a yearly thing for us. Every year, it's a different thing. And every year, our children are different, so we're prayerfully, you know, ask God what's best. But once our kids have gotten a little bit older, um, we want to bring them into that process. You know, now the kids are in high school, we sit them down, we're like, what we want you to think about is what does God want you to do? We, and we help them. We coach them through that. Like, what are the pros and cons? Okay, if you're going to go to Slow High, what are the pros? How is it going to help you in your walk with Jesus? Because, yes, education is important, but what's more important is Jesus. That's, that's the most important. Because you can be really, really smart, but be really, really foolish and walk in the ways of darkness and death. We want you to know Jesus. So what are some pros that are going to help you in this area? What are some cons? And we, we really try to prayerfully walk them through that. We um, help them to try to cultivate, you know, their own walk with Jesus and reading the Bible and journaling and, you know, that might look drawing pictures or whatever, but writing out prayers together, whatever. But we want them to understand that even in those moments of where there's decisions that need to be made, that God offers wisdom um, to lead them back to God who is all wisdom. So the second thing with regard to providing them spiritually is not only use life lessons as gospel moments, second thing is prioritizing going to church or prioritizing biblical community. Uh, in other words, you got to make it a priority. Um, I read a statistic not too long ago that basically said the number one reason why kids, when they're older, don't go to church because dad didn't. That's kind of surprising, but in some ways it's really not because they just follow the path of what's been modeled for them. And I realize, you know, we've got so many things that are going on, so many things that keep us busy, so many things that keep us preoccupied. It's easy for us to not be in certain habits that are good. But the point that I would make is, and again, we talk about this on Sunday mornings, but end all for Christians is not sitting in a Sunday morning service in a chair listening to a guy yell. Uh, the end all is being a community of saints, a community of believers that love Jesus, that are walking together 
in community. But again, it's got to start somewhere. And it's got to start by mom or dad taking it seriously, prioritizing it, seeing it that it's important to them, and being invested in that, and leading their kids into that. So that, you know, their kids, like for me, I think I've told you before, I was brought up Catholic. My, my parents, my dad, and you know, maybe he went to church for the wrong reasons. Maybe it would just been like ritual, or he had a guilty conscience if he didn't go. But for me, I grew up knowing that church is just, it's just what you do. It's just a priority. So when I became a Christian and started walking with Jesus, I'm like, this is awesome. I get to go meet with Jesus every single week with God's people and hang out with them and spend time with them. And so, again, I, I, you know, I, I realize, especially if you've got younger kids, you know, cold season happens, everybody gets sick. I totally get it. I understand. Um, and those things are going to happen. But really, truly think about what it looks like for you to prioritize as a, as a gospel community, which is what a family is. You guys are a small gospel community merging with the bigger gospel community, which we, we call the church. You are a little church. Your family is a little church. There, if you have a, a husband there, it's a priest. That, you know, again, this is where if you have a broken family, there's, uh, there's not a husband or a wife in there. It's a little bit challenging. It can be difficult, but God's still there for a woman that is single. God's your husband. God provides. There's radical passages throughout the Bible that describe that, but the point of the matter is, is that it's got to be a priority. You've got to think about what that looks like. And so, which means, really, at the end of the day, the primary impetus for spiritual growth and maturity within your family is not Sunday school. We have an amazing Sunday school. We have an amazing children's ministry. We have a lot of great workers, a lot of great helpers, a lot of great servants. Uh, we invest a lot into that. We see it's an important part. But at the end of the day, our children's ministry workers are not and cannot be the primary spiritual means of teaching and training your kids. You are. God's put you there in their lives. And really what Sunday morning should be, or any other type of thing that we have, is sort of just an augmentation of it. Um, so you've got to really think about that. And again, I realize in so much in our culture today tends to focus upon specialists. You know, we, you know if you've got some health issues, you go to a specialist. If you have other areas of need, you go find a specialist for something. And we oftentimes think the same way with church. If, you know, if I need to raise my kids, I send them to the specialist. Churches seem to do a good job with that. Let them take care of them. And again, it's, it's backwards thinking. It's, it's thinking that sort of more so reflects the culture than it does the gospel. So think about that. The third thing, and I'm done, is model repentance and faith. And I touched on this earlier. That one of the greatest ways by which you can provide spiritually for your kids is for you to model this yourself. For you to model what it looks like to walk with Jesus. Now, I originally I had written down for you to model godliness, but in some ways it's kind of a you know, God-likeness, you know, it's like, what does that look like? It's kind of one of those intangible statements. So I kind of chose this idea, model repentance and faith, which really is what the, the gospel calls us to action to live out, repentance and faith. It's kind of the repentance like I was talking about earlier. This might mean, obviously, you as a parent, um, even though God has placed you in a role, like we talked about last time, you have a role, you're a mom, you're a dad, and they are subject to you as a child, uh, there's a role, there's an order to things. That, that also, you need to also emphasize the fact that as you are in that role, you're still a redeemed sinner, and you're going to fail. You're flawed, you're greatly flawed, and there's going to be moments where you fail to live up to that particular role the way that you should, to represent God the way that you should, and that's where repentance comes in, being able to verbalize it, to speak it, to communicate it to your kids, but then also uh, modeling faith what it looks like to pray, to seek God. This is what we talked about last time, kind of family devotions and things like that. So that's kind of the idea 
I'm done. Um, give you guys an opportunity to ask some questions, and then we'll let you guys spend the last few moments to pray. Questions? Yes. Um, I know a lot of us have young children, and I was just thinking about the corrective discipline, um, not punitive, but restorative, and I was really trying to think of an example on, like, you know, when your kid's disobeying you and throwing a big fit or you hit their brother or whatever, and you're like, time out. You get there, you know? And, you know, that feels pretty punitive. <laughs> you're like, get in time out. Which, I mean, afterwards you can explain, like, why did you get time out? And, you know, was that, a, was that a good decision? Was that loving? You know, and you can talk about it like that. But I just feel like sometimes it's like, I don't know, I have a hard time, like, in the moment, deciding how can I be restorative yeah. and not punitive, but still get the point across. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. I just thought if you could give us more of an example yeah. or just, I don't know. And I think probably to elaborate a little bit further on the idea of like punitive. Um, when, I, when I'm thinking of punitive, I'm thinking of the anger that goes along, the angst that goes along with it, that there is a sense where there's consequences. Okay, we always use that word consequences when our kids were young. You know, like, there's consequences. Because I want my kids to know from a very, very young age, we actually use that word, that they knew what that word meant. That when you do something that violates the statutes of life from mom or dad, there's consequences to that. So if you want to look at punitive in that sense, then sure. But what I was talking more so is the the pure angst and anger that sometimes can come out of us, that, that, that we got to be careful about that. Because God, you know, that's where we're not like God, you know. We have a tendency to get very angry and frustrated, and we take out a real deep anger upon our kids, mm -hmm. and that can leave real deep, lasting impressions. And when that happens, that's where we've got to repent and ask them their forgiveness and okay. forgiveness. So okay. that's kind of what I meant by that. Okay. So, cool. yeah. Thanks. Make sense? So you touched on this, which is young kids in cold season. I just missed the last three months of church because oh, a kid was homesick almost every Sunday, and I finally made it on Sunday. <laughs> do you have any suggestions for what we should do in that rough season of life with small babies and yeah. missing a lot of church and wanting to be involved? Sure. <laughs> I think just to add to that, it's a great, great answer. Um, I think the importance of Sabbath oftentimes gets lost, meaning you take a break, you pause. And it's not just hang out and do nothing. It's you pause and worship. And if you're going to be sick, obviously you have no control over that, but you have control of what you can do that if you, if you are sick. I mean, if you're too sick where you just, you know, you're like laid up in bed. My wife was laid up in bed for two Sundays straight and just wasn't able to do anything. Um, you know, so she's not at home with my other daughter like, let's do devotion, sweetheart. You know, it's just like... Like, you know, they're in bed shivering, you know. So, obviously, that's not an option. So, my point is that I think it's a matter of, like, keeping the priority of, hey, ah, it's a real bummer. I've been, been sick, but, you know, we're feeling a little bit better right now, but we're not well enough to go back because, you know, we might infect the kids and, and whatnot. So, we're going to have just a little time to pray and sing a few songs right now, depending upon their age, you know. And uh, because it's a way for us to just pause. Sabbath is a time to pause, to remember, to consider, think about who God is, and, you know, again, Sabbath doesn't necessarily have to be done at church in a service. It can be done at home, and, but I think the idea is, is, is keeping the concept in the minds of the kids that it's a priority. I, I think oftentimes what can happen is it, it, it's, you know, when somebody doesn't go, it's like, we're just going to go camping, and we're going to, you know, go do whatever, and there's no, like, dialogue or talking through it with the kids. Like, 
oh, hey, you know, it's a priority for us to go to church, but the, you know, this particular Sunday we're not able to make it. We're, we're going to go next week. I, I think it's a matter of like having ongoing dialogue with the kids. I think it's the parents that just never communicate to the kids, and they just don't go to church for three weeks in a row, and there's no like explanation why. I don't think that's good. I think it's setting a trajectory in the hearts and the minds of the kids. It's just no big deal. It's not that important. It's not a priority. That's my thought. I loved how you shared that you took your daughter out to dinner. Um, my parents, they tried to do that with my brothers and I, and they called it fat time, focused attention time. And we try to do that with our girls, but obviously it's hard with both working and busy schedules. And I think um, that's something that I'm always trying to work on is being intentional. Um, and then Crystal, I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, there are times where it's like, you got to put an end to the war going on. But um, I think it's that, because I'm a very impatient person, but that taking that deep breath and not being quick to anger. Um, but I have to compliment your children's program. What I love, especially the four through sixth graders, like they have a time right now. And so, um, and those kids are always together every Sunday at 11 o'clock. So they're building that community within each other. So we want them, especially just at that age, building those relationships, you know, fourth through sixth grade and then transitioning into junior high and high school and um, just wanting them to be excited about that community. So, I mean, for us, church is not an option. It's just what we do. Um, but I think also our kids are a little bit older, and when your kids are younger, you, you also have to have grace for yourself, and there are just some times where, I mean, for Brett and I, I like sometimes I'm surprised we made it through that stage of life because it's really hard when you have young children. So just to encourage those of you that have young ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the, the other thing, too, i just add on that is, like, when... It's, it's really be intentional with everything. Like even like, for, for example, Sunday mornings or whenever. It, let's say you, you, you take your kids to the baptism that we have. It's an opportunity for you guys to explain to your kids. Like, hey, here's why we go to the beach. It's not just like church at the beach. It's like, you know, we're going to watch people get baptized. And this is why it's so beautiful. Maybe one day, maybe you'll get baptized, you know. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like you're planting these seeds. You're being intentional with them. T talk to them. Or on Sunday mornings when we do communion, you know. Uh, after the teaching or whatever, it's a way for you to maybe as, a, as parents to go grab your kids and bring them in here during worship when we have family services. We don't have a ton of them throughout the years. But for you to look at those, I, I, you know, I, I realize obviously kids can oftentimes be viewed as like, ah, oh, my kids are just chatty and I don't want to be the center of attention so I just won't go to church. Especially when we have family services. No, no, bring them. Like, we're okay with that. In fact, that's fine. Um, we want the kids to feel that, to be a part of that. To, and it, it becomes an opportunity for you to encourage them and to engage with them and not just simply release them to just run around, but for you to be active in communicating with them. You know, uh, we sing songs to Jesus, and you know, the pastor's going to talk to us a little bit about God. And then afterwards, we'll sing some more songs, and we'll take communion together, and we'll do that together. And this is why we do that. And so you're really coaching them and leading them along the way. Question: um, One thing that I've kind of been struggling with, um, just talking to God about a lot lately, is I have a son who's still—he's still pretty young. He just turned a year old, but I've really been struggling with the issue of spanking and physical discipline because in my life growing up, that was really misused, and it created a lot of hurts for me. And I made the decision not to spank my son at all because of that. But I'm getting like a lot of criticism from Christians saying, "You know, well, if you don't do that, you're going to spoil him." And yeah. 
so I'm just kind of now kind of unsure where to go with it. Yeah, gosh, it's a, it's a, again, a whole other sermon message that we can talk about. Um, I'll give you my, like, real brief little synopsis of it. At the end of the day, I think the idea is not so much emphasizing, you know, for example, let's hit that verse right head on. Spare the rod to spoil the child. So does that mean we have to have a rod and whack the kid? Or else am I being a bad parent? And personally, my take on it is the word sparing the rod is an idiom for discipline. It's an idiom for discipline. Um, I think it gets abused. There's some gnarly fundamentalist people that just like, we're just going to whack the kid. We're angry. We're going to just, you know, how we're going to discipline our kid. I think that's abusive. It can be abusive. I think the idea is discipline. And all kids, I think, are different. And they respond differently. Some kids respond great to timeout. You sit them down. They get it. They know what it means. Other kids, you might need to, like, ratchet up a little bit more. And, you know, but never do you, like, you know, whack the kid to the point where you're, you're trying to inflict, you know, damage or pain. You know what I'm saying? Um, I heard someone once describe it. Like, God created a, a great spot on the child that's really exceptionally padded. And, it, you know, it's, it's more of like a wake-up call as opposed to hurt, you know. And, you know, so my, my point is that I think it's easy for us to want to go against what we had seen abused and go to this way opposite extreme. Yeah. And I think that's where we need to try as best as we can let the Bible sculpt our understanding of it and not let bad examples sculpt our understanding of it. Because, obviously, you know, there have been a lot of bad examples and... You know, my, my dad was a great dad, but there are times when, you know, I think probably is, you know, discipline was a little bit maybe excessive in some areas, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I know my dad loved me, and so, um, yeah, I don't know if that helps and answers the question or not, but I think the issue is discipline. If you don't discipline, you're not doing a good job. It's, it's straight up. I mean, our job is to help, and again, discipline, think about it, guardrails. It's proactive, it's corrective, it's, uh, it's... Uh, that's the job of a parent, to provide those guardrails, guidance, coaching, leading. So that's the idea of discipline, I think. Okay, so why don't we do this, guys? We just have a few more minutes left. Um, why don't you guys just, in your little tables, in your little groups, there should be a little thing on there to pray for. But one thing I want you to, maybe what you can do is just specifically pray for, is ask this question. What one area do you feel like you're the weakest in? And then just pray for that. So just, just do that. You don't need to read the little prayer request thing on the bottom. You can do that a little bit later if you want. But um, just ask yourselves amongst your, you go around and say, what's the one thing that you would say that you're weakest in and that you need God's help to strengthen you in? Um, don't spend a lot of time talking about it because I think the focus is to pray. Pray that God would help you guys and pray for one another that God would help you guys in those specific areas.
Hey guys, I'm going to pray. It's uh, five till, so I'm just going to pray over us. If you guys hadn't get a chance to uh, pray yet, I'll just pray right now for you. And then as soon as I'm done, go pick up your little ones. So, God, just thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word that uh, is a lamp into our feet, light into our steps. And God, I pray that you just continue to help us to walk in your ways, to learn what this means, to live this out in our families and our lives. And so, God, we, we pray for your help. We ask for your help. Uh, Lord, we're flawed people trying to raise flawed people. And God, we just need your help. And we're thankful, God, that you're a perfect father that truly loves us. And it's, it's in your love and your kindness, God, that you make us. And so, Lord, stands the reason that way that we're going to help make and shape our kids is through love and kindness. So we pray for your help uh, to figure out what that looks like. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, guys.